Okay, we're going to get Pastor Val to come up and bring the word. I think she's got a bit of a missions focus today, like always. So, praise God. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, folks. Just a quick update on that announcement. If I could get the handsome young David Zintek to stand up. Uh, Pastor Leonard's not here today, so for those men who are interested, please see young Dave. And he will give you the info that you need. Okie doke. So, um, yes, unfortunately, young Steph's not too well. So pray for Steph and they're all down at the hospital. It's all a bit of a drag. You know how these things go sometimes in families. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today and pray that as I share out of your word that you would touch our hearts and that we would walk away changed not because we hear something motivational, but because the word of God changes who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, it is almost 11, and um, it is Remembrance Day today. For those of you who are perhaps new to Australia and don't understand uh, some of our culture, Remembrance Day is a day when at 11am we have a minute's silence and we have that silence in order to honour the people that have fought and died for our freedom. The reason that I can stand here and preach today is because there are men and women who stood up and said, we will defend the democracy that is Australia. And they did that war after war after war for almost... In two years' time, we will have had 100 years of war on our planet. From 1914, we have not been out of war somewhere on this planet. And every single year, we have young people, young men, young women who stand up and say, we will fight to defend democracy. And the reason we need democracy is so that you and I can worship in freedom, so that we can worship without the police coming in and arresting us so that we can lift up the name of Jesus and know that nobody is going to shoot us for it. Unfortunately, on planet Earth today, roughly one-third, that is two billion people on planet Earth today, do not have access to Jesus Christ at all. At all. The rest of the nations around one third live in freedom and the other third live under oppression. They live in nations like Vietnam, like Laos, like Burma, like Pakistan, like Afghanistan, like Iraq, like Iran, like the whole Middle East, like Cuba. They live in nations where to proclaim the gospel is to make yourself a target and so today we're going to have our minute silence a little early so that when we start on the word, we don't need to pause in the middle of it because that just might throw things and your concentration. So we're going to have a minute silence now um, and we'll put up the poppy. The poppy is from Flanders Fields and uh, so that we do not forget the price others have paid for our freedom today. Let's have a moment's Silence.
Lord, I thank you today for those who have made the sacrifice. Lord, and I, th- I just pray for the safety of those currently on war fronts, those in the military who work for us today. We just pray that you would bring a protection on them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we remember those who have fallen to protect us, I'd like us also to remember Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this. The one who has paid the ultimate price for you and I is Jesus Christ. And we have the incredible privilege of knowing that firsthand. I'm presuming that because you're here today that you know that firsthand that Jesus Christ came that he bled, that he died for you and for me. Sometimes I think we're in danger of forgetting that. I'm going to read from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these." If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For what or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hallelujah. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Guys, uh, can we just turn the fallbacks down? It's just echoing a bit up here. It's just feeding back a bit. Thanks. My question to you is if you are worrying... If you are spending nights awake, are you perhaps not seeking God first? Is worry perhaps a sign that God is not front and center of your life? If we truly want to live as the called of Jesus Christ, we need to consider the lifestyle of the called. The Bible has hundreds of of examples of the called and we manage to not apply the call to our lives very well ourselves. We read of Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, David, Noah, Peter, Paul. We read of their stories over and over again and somehow when it comes to day-to-day practice and principle, sometimes we seem to fail to apply how they lived to our lives. So my question is, what does it mean for us if we are going to live a life that is called, if we're going to live a life that seeks God first 
where his kingdom is first, where his righteousness in our lives is above all other things, then what does that look like for us? And I think the answer is in the passage. I think the answer is right there in Matthew. And it starts with this. Number one, make God the boss. It's, it's kind of not that hard. You know, you just kind of go, okay, well, you know, God wants me to do this. I want to do that. Therefore, I go and do what God wants me to do and I ignore what I want to do. It's not that hard, right? I mean, the, the problem is, I think, often we, we're just not quite sure about what the this is that God's asking us to do. And that kind of leads me to point number two, which is it's actually pretty easy. All you need to do is ask this question. How do I honor God today? How do I honor God in what I eat? How do I honor God in what I wear? How do I honor God in what work I do? So if we were to ask that question, I think we'd come up with a few different answers. I would suggest that in Christ's lordship, the result of answering those questions is our lives would be much simpler. For a start, eating, let's think about eating. Eating is a fairly straightforward thing. God put lots and lots of good food on the planet and he gave us seasons and the seasons go round and round and fruit grows in seasons. And, you know, so right now, if I look out at my orange tree, there are no oranges. It's not orange season right now. Not for my type of oranges. If I look out at my apple tree, that's starting to come into fruit. Clearly, it's going to be apple season soon. My nectarine tree is just starting, just starting to bud. It's going to be nectarine season soon. I would suggest that if we ate our food quite simply, very simply, seasonally, as God provides, that life would be so much easier and simpler. It would just be easy to make decisions. How do I honour God? Simply by consuming what he has provided instead of worrying about highly processed junk foods. Last time I checked, God doesn't work at Macca's. So it's unlikely he meant for you to be eating that stuff. See what I mean? It's pretty simple, right? It's not that hard. We, we kind of complicate things, don't we? We don't really need... To have highly processed, complicated foods, God's given us what we need, fairly straightforward. And if you worry about what God's provided, just go down to the farmer's markets or go down and have a look at where some of the growers' areas are and see what's growing. Okay, fairly straightforward. The benefit is, of course, a much lower carbon footprint on the earth if we're not importing oranges from the US when they're out of season here and stuff like that. But that's a whole other discussion. So what we're eating, honouring God in how we eat, is easy. I would suggest honouring God in what we wear is just as easy and straightforward. Here's a question, and I know this is going to hurt some of you. Just hold on there, Gillian. I just know it's going to hurt. Do you really need four ball dresses for occasions that you never attend? <laughs> you don't. No, you don't. And often we kind of stock our wardrobes. Uh, you know, I chat with people and they tell me that, oh, isn't it great the shops are open on Sunday? And so I'm like, why would you want to go shopping on a Sunday? In fact, 
why would you want to go shopping at all? But hey, I, I understand it's good to wear clothes. Yep, yep. But, you know, we do kind of complicate things. And most people find themselves buying and consuming goods, just consuming for the shopping experience, collecting things in their wardrobe that they are never going to wear, that they are not. I spoke to somebody this week who said, oh, I've got a whole wardrobe of clothes. I said, why, how come I see you in the same thing every week? She said, oh, well, I don't fit into them. I said, give them away. Oh, I can't do that. I bought them. Go figure. So she's never going to wear them. So I said, really, you spent a fortune so that you could look at clothes in the wardrobe. How long do you spend looking at your clothes in your wardrobe every day? Like, what's that, five minutes? So you spent a fortune so for five minutes you could entertain yourself looking at clothes. I don't get it. To me, that is a complicated life. To me, that is a life that doesn't make sense. So if we want to honour God, we need to ask that question. Really, what do I need to wear? How much do I need to buy? And then get what we need. And it's not that hard. Really, it's not. If we stop buying just everything on the shelf because some marketer tells us it's there, life becomes much simpler. And if you need to turn the television off and throw the catalogues out to do that, do it. Really, life's so much more interesting without television and catalogues. I promise. Okay, third area, the work that you do. How do we honour God in the work that we do? My first question is, if you are too tired at the end of the day to invest in the relationships with the people around you, I don't think you're doing work that honours God. I think that if you're doing work that honours God, it will allow you to invest in relationships. Ultimately, that's all we take to heaven. That's all God's really interested in. He's not interested in how much money you give him. He's not interested in how many people you run around and, and preach at and how many pamphlets you hand out. He's interested in the relationship that you have with him and how that's reflected to the people around you in your relationships with them. So last week, for example, I was in Sydney at my cousin's wedding. I have an uncle who is an earth worshipper. So, for example, we will sit around and have tea and we will give thanks to God for providing for us and you know the senator as we call him will sit down and he will give thanks to mother earth for providing him with food so we had an interesting chat he's also variably vegan vegetarian or carnivorous depending on what day it is so as with most people who don't have a very clear belief system his days go like this. So we had a little chat about original sin. He had never heard of the concept of original sin and so I just explained to him that's why Jesus needed to die. He's struggling with this concept, I have to tell you. He's, he's having a hard time because he'd written religion off and, uh, and his, his view is Christians are narrow-minded. The interesting thing is 
my, my explanation about how the world works, according to the Bible, is much more sensible than his. The reason I was able to have that conversation is because I have a reasonable relationship with him. The reason I have a reasonable relationship with people is because I don't work 400 hours a week. It's because I take time out to go visit them. I take time out to take my neighbour's dogs for a walk or take them soup or whatever needs to be done. I build relationship with the people around me. And the reason I can do that is because I do not worship the work I do. I love my work, but when work makes you too busy to put the kingdom first, I would suggest you are not honouring God in your job. And I understand working hard. I'm not against working hard. Anybody that knows me knows that. But I am against work becoming more important than kingdom. And so, you know, we fail to put Christ first. Uh, Somehow we kind of, in all these things, you know, in our eating, in our consuming, in uh, in our work lives, it's kind of like we say to God very subtly, God, I know we call you Lord, but we don't really truly believe you can provide for us. So we have to do all this to maintain our lives because really you're not going to come through for us if it all goes pear-shaped. So I would challenge you today to consider your relationship with God and to remember then the two billion people who are without a witness Because ultimately, all of this comes down to this. Revelations chapter 5. And we're going to read quite a long passage there. Verses 9 to 14. So this is, we get to heaven, right? This is when, when John got to heaven. This is what he saw. He says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you... Jesus Christ was slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They circled the throne and living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. On that day, on that day, there will be people, the Bible says, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. If we are to live in the way that Matthew, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew, if we are to put the kingdom first, these daily decisions that we make should impact those two billion people who have no witness. That is, the money we're not spending on consuming goods that we don't need, the work that we're not doing 400 hours of when we can live on less should enable us to build relationships with people, 
should enable us to send people to the ends of the earth. There are only today about 100,000 people who work as missionaries in the world. 100,000 people. That's like the city of Gosnells. Now, I would suggest to you that if a big you know, earthquake came and the whole city of Gosnells disappeared, most of Perth wouldn't notice. I hate to say that, but it's true, right? 100,000 people is not very much in 7 billion. 100,000 people working as missionaries today. Out of 100,000, 3,000 approximately. That's, you know, that's about Kelmscott High School, just about. Work exclusively among unreached people groups. So 2 billion people have 3,000 people trying to reach them with the gospel. I don't know about you, but there's an inequity in that that disturbs me. And I would suggest there's an inequity in that that disturbs Jesus Christ. He died for that 2 billion people, and every single day, today, just while I've been preaching, something like 16,000 died without knowing Jesus Christ, without even having the opportunity to know him. I mean, they don't even have a chance of getting saved. It's not like they're sitting in the back of the church going, I don't want to know. They've never heard. There is no gospel. There is no witness. There is no indigenous church. And you and I have a chance by putting kingdom first to start changing this day by day by day. Not only do we have the opportunity to do so, I would suggest to you that we are called to do that. I would suggest to you that the very reason you and I have breath in our lungs today and that we didn't die the day we got saved, bang, go to heaven, is to reach this two billion people. We only have a short frame of opportunity. My life is half over Literally half over, right? The question is, what have I done with the first half and what am I going to do with the second half? Now, some of you, I hate to say this, and don't take it personally, but some of you are a lot closer to the end than I am. I'd suggest that, you know, the imperative to act might be a little stronger for you. And some of you are much younger than I am and you have an opportunity to run the race well. I can say I am running my race well. I can say that in the last week I've had four different opportunities to speak the gospel to people who never are going to darken the door of a church. And that I've been able to do that because of relationship, because I am putting kingdom first. I would still like for people to challenge me regularly on that, I would hate to think I've arrived and I'm all sort of perfect. That would be pathetic. But I'd like us all to be challenged by how we put kingdom first. Are we not trusting God enough to provide for us and therefore spending too much time on the things that do not matter? I just have a short video presentation now. So I'll ask you guys to throw that up for me. Shall I take that one?
Look, an actual Bible. How long since we saw one of those in church, eh? <laughs> I know we all have these iPad things and stuff these days. The job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do and the mandate is still binding on us today. That's why we speak of unreached people groups. But the missions is the back-breaking, culture-penetrating, darkness-shattering initial work to penetrate, plant the church, see it flourish, get its own elders, train its own people, evangelize its own networks. That's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our heads and in our hearts. Jesus Christ. Is there a many prodigal sons on our city streets they run searching for shelter and there are homes broken down people's hopes have fallen to the ground from failures this is an emergency
So count the cost, brothers and sisters. This is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk and reached the lost with the only message of salvation. But for those of you who, like me, have had your heart broken looking at that video, for those of you who, like me, think those children deserve another chance, I absolutely promise you God's heart is broken for them today. We have an opportunity to live differently, people, and we are called to do so. We do not have a choice except to live differently to live the gospel in such a way that they have an opportunity to hear. Father, I just thank you for your compassion. Lord, I thank you for your love that reached out, that touched me where I was, that touched each of the people in this room where they were when we met you, Jesus. We thank you that you never left us alone in that space. We thank you that you've brought us this far. And Father, that together... You call us to reach the rest of the children, to reach the rest of the world. And so, Lord, as we walk away today and we consider that passage in Matthew that comes up so often, Father, help us to see the world through your heart that beats for those who do not know you. Help us to live in a way that reaches them Daily, Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm going to hand over to Karen. I would say um, I have, it has been said that uh, I'm a tough preacher. I make no apologies. I truly believe I preach the word of God the way it is meant to be preached. And it's from the heart. And so I know that some of you are going to feel a little stunned today. That's okay. Jesus loves you anyway. See ya. <laughs>